Yeah. This is probably more of a question for like a psychiatrist <laughs> or something. Um. Welcome to Maybe Running Will Help, the podcast that reminds us that running is about more than just performance and PRs. I'm Nikki Tamburino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. I'm an RRCA certified running coach and personal development enthusiast who knows firsthand that running has the power to transform our minds and our lives one step at a time. I'm excited to bring you stories from the community as well as research so we can explore the expected and not so expected ways running can and has helped make life better, regardless of your pace, place, or experience. Let's get started. Hey guys, what is up? I cannot believe that it is April 1st and some of you are tapering for Boston already. This training season seems like it flew by, but then again, I wasn't really training. I just started training a couple weeks ago because I'm doing Buffalo, which is Memorial Day weekend. But congratulations to you guys. You worked really, really hard and Boston is an epic weekend. So take it in. Don't overstress. You worked hard to get to Boston. Celebrate. Um, Before we get to our topic this week, I want to talk about a post that I put up on Instagram with my husband wearing this super obnoxious wrestling t-shirt. You guys did not have my back. I got zero support. Everyone was on Joe's side. Look me square in the eyes and tell me you love me. But anyway, today we've got an amazing episode with an amazing guest. We have a lot of fun answering questions about a not-so-fun topic, uh, injuries. And we're going to cover everything from the little things that we can treat at home to the bigger things that put us out of the game for a little bit. And we need support from professionals, uh, but we're going we're gonna to talk about it all. So we are going to jump right in. Okay, so we are back with Dr. Annie Neuror. Um, she was on our episode for Running When Sick. And Dr. Newar is a running and biomotion specialist. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Yep, so can you tell us or remind us what that is? Yeah. So um, I am a physical therapist. Um, I'm an orthopedic clinical specialist. So I specialize in orthopedic injuries. Um, and then I work out of Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm the running and biomotion specialist there. So I head up our running program. I do a lot of our gait and movement analysis for our patients. Nice. I have a list of questions that um, I think we'll just go down and uh, do the best we can to answer them for people. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Um, All right. First one. Number one. How do you manage coming back from an injury, uh, working with a doctor or a physical therapist? That's a great question. I think... um, Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a physical therapist, but depending on what state you're in, usually you can see a physical therapist first, which a lot of times is actually a more direct approach to getting your injury at least started in your plan of care, we call it. Um, so I tell people if you live in a state that's that's that has what's considered direct access, meaning you don't need a referral from your physician mm-hmm. to see a physical therapist, see a PT first because a lot of times physicians will just refer you anyways to a physical therapist um, before they do any imaging, 
blood work, diagnostics, anything like that. Um, and the way physical therapists are now trained, we now have a doctorate level of education. Um, we're trained to kind of rule out things that might need more um, attention, something like a stress fracture or things like that. So most physical therapists should be able to see you right away and kind of tell you, okay, yes, you should get better with six to eight weeks of physical therapy or at least start to see improvements or, you know, no, I think you need to see a physician right away because I think you need an MRI or, you know, let's treat you, but us also let's send you to a physician and let's have you do both. Um, so I think seeing a physical therapist is a pretty direct way to, to kind of get your injury management started. Um, but you can also see a physician or an orthopedic specialist. Um, and a lot of times they'll send you to physical therapy as well. So we're going to hit up a PT first if we can. And now let's talk about the do's and don'ts of coming back from an injury. Do you have any do's and don'ts of coming back from an injury? Yes, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> where do we where do we begin? Yeah, I would say I I would say I have a couple do's. Um, my do's are typically to have a plan and a professional. That's why I tell people you need a plan and you need a professional, um, meaning that you shouldn't just kind of throw yourself back into it without any guidance from either a physical therapist or a running coach um, and have a training plan if, you're, if your goals involve some sort of, you know, distance, time, some sort of race in the future. Um, so I tell people playing in a professional, I tell people to keep a training journal as you come back from an injury and that way you can kind of document what types of workouts seem to flare you up, how they flared you up what type of pain characteristics you had um, during your run, after your run, um, and for how long, things like that. Um, the other do's have a lot to do with making sure you have true rest days. So days, you know, when you're coming back from injury, having at least one to two completely total rest days to allow your body just a little extra time um, to recover. And then as a part of that recovery process, the nutrition, the hydration, and potentially supplementation as well, pending your type of injury. So if I know someone's coming back from a stress fracture or a stress response, a lot of times you need additional calories to help your bones heal. Um, so taking in more calories than you would otherwise, or you might, you know, if you're, you know, a, a, a white female age 45 and above, you might need to add in vitamin D even under 45. Like I started taking 40 vitamin D at 30, 28. Um, so having supplements, things like that. So based on your injury, your nutrition, your hydration, and the supplements you take can be pretty specific as well for your, your return to running program. An article on outsideonline.com says we need to respect the energy demands of healing. Claire Fudge, an iron triathlete and registered dietitian, explains in the article that the body immediately gets to work after trauma. If you're dealing with an acute injury, your heart rate speeds up in response to tissue damage, pain, and anxiety. Catherine Krupa, another registered dietitian and also a master's marathoner, is quoted saying metabolism can increase 15 to 20% with trauma, minor surgery, and the use of crutches. The article says the bottom line is that your body is under stress and your energy needs likely increased at the onset of injury. Your priority should be getting enough calories to support healing, not limiting your intake because you're moving less. Yeah, we always think like, oh, I need a physician or I need a physical therapist or a coach. And those are all, you know, great performance and, and rehab type specialists. But a dietitian or a sports nutritionist can be like one of the most 
overlooked professionals that can really like help people kind of tweak what might be the underlying cause of the injury in the first place. So they can be a really good resource for people too, as they get back to running. Um, all right. How about don'ts? Don'ts. Okay. Yes. I skipped the don'ts. Um, so don't rush it. And there's a training principle. A lot of people follow. It's like the 10% rule of don't increase your total mileage by more than 10%. Um, you'll hear a lot of opinions on that. Um, but I like it. I like it as a general rule of thumb to kind of rein people in as they start to get back from re-injury. I tend to, to, if you're really, you know, you've been dealing with a pretty serious injury, I tend to try to keep that to like 5% increase um, just to ramp you up a little slower, at least for the first four to six weeks. Um, so one is, is don't rush it. Two is don't cut your calories. A lot of people, a lot of runners, because they're not running as hard or as much. They're like, well, I can't eat as much because what if I gain weight and what if I'm heavier and that makes me even more likely to get injured. Um, it's really not a time to like cut your calories when you're coming back from an injury. Um, and I see people do that a lot because they just don't think they're expending the calories that they were before. Right. Um, but you'd be surprised like how much your body can burn just healing. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please as we go through the following safety instructions. <laughs> Your priority should be getting enough calories to support healing, not limiting your intake because you're moving less. And then I tell people, <laughs> I tell people a lot, like, don't compare yourself to others because I have a lot of runners who will, like, look at the other person and be like, well, they, well, it only took them two weeks to come back from this and it's taking me six or, you know, like, you know, they what? run this way. Should I run that way? Would that keep me from getting injured? And, I, you know, it's like this death by comparison of, of <laughs> isn't everything a competition yeah <laughs> exactly and I'm like okay well you need to realize like that person is 10 years younger or that person is you know a collegiate athlete or that person is devoted their entire life to their training regimen and you have four kids and two jobs <laughs> like you know there's all these things you have to consider so um, <laughs> so yeah I would say don't rush your progress don't rush your recovery don't cut your calories and uh, don't compare yourself to others as you're getting back into it. Any reoccurring injuries that indicate your body is just not made to run? I know who asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. Me too. This one ahead of time. And I was like, oh, this is good. Um, <laughs> that sounds like the question of a really frustrated runner. Um, I would say, honestly, no. And I wrote like no in my notes prepping for this. It's like a hard, fast no. I think, um, not to get really nerdy, but I think human beings are literally we were meant and built to run long distances. And I, I know tons of people disagree with me in that sense, if, if they don't like running or if they've struggled with injuries, but you know, when we look at like, like, uh, arthropological studies, you know, we have ligaments like the Achilles tendon and the nuchal ligament in your back of your head, like that holds your head upright. And like, we have all these like, you know, evolutionary changes that have made us supposed to run um, and supposed to hunt and gather and, and chase things down over long distances. So on a very nerdy level, I think every human has the capacity to run in some capacity. Knowing how much your body can tolerate is important um, and knowing what type of accessory work or things you might need to work on as an individual to keep yourself running healthy is important, but I, I think everyone can run in some capacity.
So funny, embarrassing thing. I contacted the person who I thought asked that last question to see if they'd be willing to self-record it, only to find out that I wrote that question down. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I know exactly who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> and their question actually had more to do with uh, body mechanics and form. So here is the actual question for my friend, Karen Just. Hey, Karen, it's Nikki. Um, I hope that I didn't offend you by assuming that you asked that question. <laughs> I know that we were talking about body mechanics and somehow I twisted up your actual question and created my own. Um, but if you could let me know if you still have a question or if there's anything you want me to ask the physical therapist, I would love to get that answered for you. Thanks. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So first of all, I would literally never be offended, but you could say like almost anything and you wouldn't offend me. I think because of my profession, like <laughs> I don't think I've been offended in the last decade. In addition to being a dedicated runner, Karen is a picky nurse and all around badass human. Um, <laughs> but I, I've definitely said that about my mechanics for sure. Um, because I think this is like so long winded and I'll make it really short, but, um, I think you you can be injury prone or like you can have things that may crop up more more frequently for you because of maybe the way you're built. And like I don't think I'm technically built really to be like the most efficient runner. I have some stuff that's pretty imbalanced and apparently from what I've read most people are asymmetric. Like it's not common for everybody to just be like perfectly balanced and most of us have a dominant side. Um, or leg or what have you. Um, but I think some of the reasons that's that pro runners, like, I mean, there are a lot of reasons they're, they're professionals, but part of the equation is a lot of the time, if you look at their mechanics, I mean, they're really, really good pro runners with terrible mechanics and heel striking and things that work for them, but they're obviously really good at using their body to be fast and do what they do. But, and they like say that you can like quote unquote work on your mechanics, but I think most of what I've read about it is that is just that it's better to work with what you've got versus like trying to change your mechanics because you risk a higher likelihood of injury trying to like adjust your the way you run than like working with what your natural gait is but just addressing the imbalances that you may have or like um, working on strength in particular areas to help with it. I think she brings up a really good point about, you know, everyone has their own specific running mechanics and there is no real ideal um, gait form. And I think we could look at some of the top runners. I think if you looked at Elliot Kipchoge, who's, you know, the fastest man in the world, I think you could say his mechanics are pretty sound in that he doesn't waste a lot of excess in energy and he's just extremely efficient um, and fairly injury resilient as well. Um, but I think she has a great point in that, you know, we can't really all strive for this perfect running form one, because it really doesn't exist. And two, because we are also different, you know, people have different tissue types. They have different range of motions at different joints. They have different areas of strength and areas of weakness. And I think for the general recommendation that I make for runners is, can we get you simply stronger? Are you willing 
to sacrifice some of your run days and change them to strength days because I think that strength training at its core is just so injury reducing. Um, And I think that with your friend's question, I think she's absolutely right if she can add in or if, if runners would take the time to really work on specifically hip strength, quad strength, and core strength, we would become more resilient in our own running form. You could ask her like, you hear a lot about people talking about changing your gait or changing your mechanics to improve them. Some of the things that we work on that have actually been shown to really help running form is is cadence or metronome training, where we manipulate how many steps the person takes in a minute in order to decrease their stride length. And that's something that does take a lot of practice. It does require you to go out, work with a metronome app on your phone or with certain you know, Spotify makes playlists that are catered to beats per minute. So you would kind of work with those, you know, musical playlists, things like that. But basically finding out what your baseline cadence is. And if it's too low, we work on increasing it about 5%. And we work with auditory cues to help you kind of learn to take a slightly shorter step, land a little bit more underneath you. And that can overall decrease your braking force when you're landing um, and really help with some of the major injuries that have been tied to a a longer stride, um, specifically at the knee. So that's one of the things that, you know, there is pretty good carryover in terms of using and consistently using, I should say, auditory cues or metronome training to help manipulate your stride length or your cadence. Um, Other things, you know, you really have to kind of be intentional about using external cues. So if, you know, you find out that you're running and one foot really crosses over the front of your body, running in front of a mirror on a treadmill can be really helpful so that you get that cue. But it's really helpful for things to be outside of your own body. So if you're sitting there, excuse me, running there and saying, okay, don't cross over, don't cross over, don't cross over that type of cue is probably not going to carry over as well as if you're physically and visually looking at something to kind of be like, okay, don't cross this line that I've put down on this mirror on this treadmill. But it does take, you know, six weeks a lot of times of consistent training to really manipulate just those small things. Um, It can be really effective, but I think overall, if we're talking just injury prevention at its core, I think your friend is very right in that strength training, running with the form that you have and making it more resilient through strength training is one of the most effective things you can do. What, in your opinion, is the most frustrating injury to treat for runners? Ooh, um, I think the most frustrating injury for runners to deal with are stress fractures because you really can't run through those. It's really not safe to push uh, stress fractures because they can become um, like actual fractures or, or even worse, like displaced fractures, things like that. So um, I think for runners, stress fractures can be really frustrating because in most cases you're going to be pulled from running for a fairly long period of time. could be anywhere from six weeks to six months. Um, So stress fractures can be probably the most frustrating thing for runners in terms of what the recovery looks like. Um, I think as a physical therapist, um, insertional Achilles tendinopathy, (laughs) and that's a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) What?
Um, but that's basically Achilles tendonitis or Achilles tendinopathy. Um, but it's at the very end of your Achilles tendon, right where it connects to the bone. Um, and it's a really frustrating injury to deal with as a runner and to treat as a physical therapist because it can take a long time. Um, it, it can be flared up easily, but it, you can usually kind of run through it. So people have a hard time gauging how to push it. You have a hard time kind of gauging how to push them. And it's just a very specific area to treat. So I, I find that one the most frustrating for myself. Uh, the most common injury and in how to treat it, I want to guess. Shin yeah. splints. You're close. It is actually not shin splints. That's a negative copy. Come again. Uh, something with your knee. Yes. There you go. All right. Uh, yes. So uh, the knee is the most injured body part in runners, um, from a, at least from a research report standpoint. Um, and patellofemoral pain, which is also called runner's knee, is typically the the you know, that most common reported running related injury that, that we see. Um, and it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a good one to treat. I think it's really successful a lot of times with physical therapy. So I, I actually really enjoy treating people with patellofemoral pain because there's a lot, um, that you can do for it that can be really helpful. Um, the, the important thing was if you have patellofemoral pain and to kind of make that make sense is usually it's pain, like around your kneecap or on kind of like the side of your knee or in the front of your knee. Um, it's usually something that you can kind of run through ish. Um, sometimes it'll stop you eventually. Um, and it usually hurts you with things also like squatting, going downstairs, lunging anytime your knee is like bending under your body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how you can kind of like self-diagnose to some extent. If those things hurt, you might have patellofemoral pain. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different ways to treat it. Actually, what some of the most effective ways to treat is actually to strengthen your hip muscles, um, like the outside of your hip and to strengthen your quadricep muscles, which are the muscles in the front of the knee and pending like what the underlying cause of why you're developing it. Things like, um, taping can be really effective if you have a really mobile kneecap or if you have, um, kind of like a muscular imbalance where certain muscles are working harder than others. Things like dry needling can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually they'll respond pretty well to a strengthening program and a little bit of like retraining cues with running. And, and those patients tend to get better, you know, pretty quickly, which I enjoy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, there's a lot to do for it. And there's a lot of, um, it's a, it's a fairly manageable, pain it's not something you have to completely stop running with um which is a relief for a lot of runners because i think that's the the biggest fear is that that's what i'll tell them is like oh you know you can't run for six weeks or or four months or something and it's not really like that you can definitely run through it it just might take a little bit of tweaking might take a little um strength building but usually those those patients respond really well to physical therapy oh so it's not something like if you keep running on it it's gonna further injure it or anything like that to some extent, it depends on what, like I said, the underlying cause. So yeah. so if you're having a lot of compression within the knee or within, it's called your patellofemoral joints, basically a fancy way of saying like where your knee cap, where it lies in the groove of your leg bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, if you get a lot of compression, which is what a lot of the problem is, is it's compressing because the kneecap's getting pulled in a weird way, you can start to develop like an underlying arthritis because 
you're getting this weird type of like offloading of one area and overloading of another and that can wear away the cartilage behind the kneecap so the biggest risk would be like an earlier development of arthritis um but a lot of times like i said the the patient really responds well with the proper exercise dosage and uh they they move through it and they're able to kind of fix some of those mechanical problems um oh you know you mentioned um the tape tape the tape that people use Mm -hmm. i've never used it and i i do not understand why it works Mm -hmm. like what what does that tape do there's a lot of different taping techniques that you'll see out there and a lot of different types of tape um for patellofemoral pain in particular there's a really specific type of tape it's called mcconnell taping and it's a more rigid structural taping technique where you actually pull the kneecap to the side usually to the inside and then secure it in place so that it doesn't get pulled um, to the outer edge of the joint where it's getting compressed and that's like a straight straight across the knee tape job Um, you might see some kinesio tape which is the really bright colorful tape you see everywhere Um, sometimes people will use that to kind of like keep it from moving too much Um, I have mixed opinions about the effectiveness of KT tape when it comes to trying to like promote a position of a joint Um, a lot of times taping with KT tape or the again the colorful tape is a lot more muscular. They use it for what they call proprioceptive taping. So it's kind of telling what muscles should be active and things like that. So you'll hear a lot of opinions on taping. My favorite taping technique though is McConnell taping for um, patellofemoral pain because you can actually like really like determine if you're actually moving the kneecap in the right position and things like that. And that can be kind of harder um, to decide when you're using something like KT tape, which is really stretchy. I mean, to me, I, I look at it and I'm like, it looks really cool. And I don't, but I would have no idea. Like, the t- I don't know why or how. Uh, help. It's a lot of it is like it, proprioceptive is, is one of those kind of fancy medical words that means, you know, it kind of tells your body where it should be in space. And a lot of the kinesio taping, it's, it's, I think a lot of people are kind of confused as to how it works because it's just, a lot of times like a postural cue of like, hey, we're going to tape your leg while your knees extended to tell your hamstrings to flex your knee. And it like works in order to tell your brain to turn something on. And again, you'll get a lot of mixed reviews as to whether that's yeah. actually happening or not. But a lot of people swear by it. So I, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't yuck their yum. I say, I, you know, if it works for you and you like yeah. it, then figure it out and try it. All right. Uh, you know, we did talk a little about shin splints because that was my guess. We didn't really talk about it though. So what yeah, causes shin what causes shin splints? I always whenever I've gotten shin splints, I have noticed whether I made it up or not, it's because I'm running on concrete. So I always try to run on the road. Yeah. But, and that's so what causes yeah, shin splints. Yeah, I don't think you made <laughs> I don't think you made it up. Um <laughs> Shin splints are typical with people who are just starting running um, or someone who's really increased their their training load pretty quickly. It's usually an impact-related injury. So to say, you know, it's a hard surface, that's true. It can be related to a harder surface. Um, it's one of the few injuries that I will actually attribute to shoe wear. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I think shoes get thrown under the bus all the time where they get praised for 
avoiding injury. I don't really think that's true in a lot of cases, but shin splints would be one where your shoe wear is pretty important um, because it needs to be at least shock absorptive in some capacity. So if you're wearing really old shoes or really flat shoes and you haven't like come accustomed to them, a lot of times the shoe wear is to blame. Um, but it is a really big impact related. So it might be it might be due to how you stride. So if you take really big steps and you kind of land really hard through your heel or you're a really loud runner um, and you have really crappy footwear, that's typically the perfect combination to start developing shin splints. Whenever I've gotten shin splints, I have noticed whether I made it up or not, it's because I'm running on concrete. So I always try to run on the road. I am a super genius. Yeah, no, <laughs> surface surface shoes, um, especially this is one of the biggest one where your landing uh, mechanics can be a big deal. And that's a lot of what I do is looking at people's, um, like their ground reaction forces when they land. So we put sensors on people's tibias, which is the bone that's afflicted by shin splints the most. Um, and we look at what what's called their IPA, which just is basically a fancy way of saying like, how hard are the forces when you're trying to break your landing? And if that IPA is really high, you have a higher chance of developing something like shin splints because you're no longer absorbing your shock really well. You're just like breaking into the ground and you're using all this excess forces going through your lower leg bone. And that's kind of how you develop the shin splints. That makes sense. I can, I can actually, I must see it happening. Yeah. With that explanation. Yeah, it <laughs> it's like I, my, my shin hurts right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the other thing I noted is um, I think that I have had pain and I can't remember if it was a shin splint or what that got better because of my shoelaces. Like they were too tight. Like, have you ever run into that where like, I'm just thinking of simple things that mm -hmm. could be fixed with, like you said, proper shoe wear um, or wearing your shoes properly. So mm -hmm. is, can you talk, is there anything that you can say about like making sure like what, I don't know how to say this, but if your laces are tied too tight, like what could that cause? Or like, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, well, so, I mean, I don't even know what that means. Help. Yeah. Like for, so for shoe wear, some of the things that really matter with your shoes, if your laces are too tight, um, they can irritate something called a Morton's neuroma, which is basically like a nerve condition that you can develop in your, in between your toes. So if you have a Morton's neuroma already, it will make it a lot worse or if you're creating a lot of compression in the toe box of the shoe, which is where your foot sits, you can actually, that constant compression with the swelling that you'll naturally get in your feet when you run um, can actually inflame and irritate the structures around the nerve and then compress it and kind of cause a Morton's neuroma. So if you're getting things like numbness, tingling in your feet, it could be because your shoes are too tight. Um, if you're getting, you know, sharpness, like you're like landing on like a a pebble in your shoe, but you don't actually have one. That could be because of a nerve irritation or nerve compression from your shoe wear being too tight. Um, that can also be if you have, you know, wider feet or feet that are prone to swelling. Um, you might want a shoe that has like a wider toe box, to, blah, toe box mm -hmm. which would be like an ultra. Um, they make specific shoes that are meant for feet that are kind of wider or, or tend to splay out. Um, so yeah, the way you tie your shoes can be important. It's not, it's probably for only a small amount of injuries that I see that tying your shoe differently would actually really help. But if yeah. you have a compression type 
injury, then yeah, the shoe, way you tie your shoes can be, can be detrimental. All right. So what, okay. These two I think can go together. What are some easy solutions to try before seeing a doctor? And then can you talk about rice? Yeah. Um, so it depends, like when you say what are solutions you could try before seeing a doctor, do you mean with any injury or do you mean in specifics to shin splints? Oh, any injury. Cause I'm thinking whenever I have had an injury, it's always like you do the rice thing, you rest, you know, mm-hmm. ice, compress, elevate. Like that's mm-hmm. the first thing that you do um, and see if it goes away after a day or a week or whatever. Yeah. But so what, and, and, but I think there's um, some controversy over it, right? Like icing. Yeah, there's, <laughs> which is funny, like it, ice should be like probably the least controversial thing in medicine, <laughs> but of course we find a way to argue about it. Um, but I think the the concept behind rice is that if you have an acute injury, it typically means you have an acute um, inflammatory response occurring. So, you know, say you have pain in your heel and it just started today when you were running and you noticed it the next day when you got out of bed before it develops into a full-blown case of like plantar fasciopathy, which is a, a, a tendon problem that's existed for several weeks to months, you want to kind of nip it in the bud because right now you've got something that is acutely inflamed versus chronically inflamed. And dealing with acute inflammation includes resting it, meaning offloading it. And typically that rest phase is about a week. Um, icing it, which is the most natural form of an anti-inflammatory you can use. Um, compressing it, which is can be in, can, can be kind of like helpful in in pushing um, inflammation out of an area because it helps your blood circulatory system just work and and get the blood moving in and out and taking it taking with it inflammatory properties. Um, and then elevation works with the compression. So you would basically use the elevation and the compression simultaneously to get that inflammatory response circulating through the whole body. And no longer concentrated in that one area of your foot. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yes. That. <clears throat> so I like well, rice. I think. Yeah. I think the idea of rice, if if it's a really new injury and you're kind of like, oh, this is weird, and you know, I've only had it a couple days. I think the idea of using the the, you know, the combination of those four elements for a week or two, it can be an effective way to kind of like keep it from getting worse. Perfect. And I think you maybe just answered the next question was how long should you like self-treat before seeing a physical therapist? Um, so are you thinking one to two weeks? Try that. Try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or... that's what I usually tell people. Like if you wait, I usually say no more than two weeks. You can always go in sooner. It just you might not have enough information for your physical therapist to really collect and give you a solid like answer or a solid plan moving forward. They might just tell you, Oh, try rice for another week. And then you're like, Oh, okay. I could have Googled that. Oh, brother. What if it feels better when you run, but it hurts after or before? Um, a lot of times that'll indicate a tendinopathy, like a tendon issue, a tendon, or sometimes even like a muscle strain. So the difference between a tendon and a muscle is like the muscle is, um, a really vascularized, meaning it gets a lot of blood flow. Your muscle is your contra- like contracting properties, your hamstrings, your quads, things like that. Your tendon is kind of, is actually where um, your muscle fibers go together and then create this thick 
junction between the muscle and the bone. Um, so tendons typically, if they're irritated, they will actually start to feel better as you move. Um, and then as you stop moving, the inflam uh, the inflammation will kind of sit in the tendon and then you'll start to feel like stiff and painful. Like after you've rested for like sometimes up to like the next day, you won't feel anything when you run, you might even feel fine that night. And then the next day when you're getting out of bed or you're, you know, starting your day is when you'll feel it. Or sometimes it's even like you run, you get in the car, you drive 15 minutes home, you get out of the car and you're like, oh my gosh, like now I feel it. Um, and a lot of times that can be a tendon or a tendinopathy type pain. So if that's the case, running isn't helping, even though it feels better, it's still something that you may want to rest yeah. So tendinopathies, and, and again, this is kind of why Achilles insertional tendinopathy can be tricky, but a lot of tendinopathies can be tricky because they are not an injury that you want to completely rest from um, because tendons mm -hmm. tend to respond really well to load. It's just figuring out, okay, how much, how much running is too much load. And then the idea also is that tendons respond to to basically weight training type loads. So you want to actually incorporate like specific um, heavy strength training to actually build up the resiliency of the tendons themselves. So okay. it's not something that, yes, you could rest for two weeks, but the likelihood is you probably will still feel something as you start to get back into it because again, tendons actually respond to a load and that means a load including running but not too much running and also a load that means like weight training, um, eccentrics and, and resistance training type things that actually build the tendon resiliency. Otherwise you're just kind of incapacitating your body by resting it and then asking your tendons to return to what they were doing before. And you didn't do anything to help them get there. Okay. That makes sense. So can you talk about using weights versus body weight and how often you recommend runners do both or either, whatever. Yeah. So, so weight training can be either body weight or with weights. Um, but is there a one that, is it better to add weight or just a preference? I find, I find if you're, so if you're trying to build tendon resiliency, which I think a lot of runners should be doing, because if we think about what tendons do, they're your spring mechanisms. So your hamstring tendons, your hip flexor tendons, um, and your Achilles tendons are kind of what propel your body through the cycle that is like your running form. Um, and for a lot of the new research that's coming out is basically you want to load your tendons up, meaning you want what's called HSR, which is heavy resistance, or excuse me, yeah, heavy strength resistance training. And that means okay. you basically for, say, let's use an example for Achilles tendinopathy, um, if you're trying to build up your Achilles tendon resiliency, you want to be holding a weight that makes eight reps almost impossible to complete. And then you'll repeat that four times. And that's kind okay. of the theory of like, okay, it's not a lot of reps, um, but you're asking a lot of your tendon in terms of load. And that can be really effective for building like the stiffness of the tendon, which is actually what you want because a stiffer spring actually uh, uh, kind of stores more energy and propels you forward and gives you more power than you would have otherwise. So it's a big reason okay. why a lot of research has shifted away from just stretching 
all the time and has promoted more like let's do strength training and and in fact let's actually add heavy weights to the strength training because tendons really seem to respond to that okay cool and how often a week uh do you recommend runners or strength training um two to three days a week should be good okay all right um and you can still get i guess i should say too you know if, if you don't have heavy weights there's there's things about strength training that don't need necessarily to be heavy weights treating or or building things like you know core stability you don't really need weights for that or coordination or plyometrics meaning you're you're learning how to land and jump properly I kind of group a lot of that into strength training and that stuff doesn't need super heavy weights so it it can be um it can be I really speak like specifically to tendon rehab um in terms of that heavy weight Okay, so we've talked about the importance of weight training, and that totally makes sense. But what about cross-training? How much should we be doing if we should be doing it at all? And how much is too much? So cross-training can become a problem if your cross-training tends to mimic the same form as running. And by that, I mean, say you run five days a week, and then your cross-training is doing the elliptical two days a week. Um, even though the elliptical is lower impact, you're using a lot of the same muscle groups. You're going through almost the same amount of range of motion at your joints and your body's just kind of being stressed in some sense, the same as if you were running. Um, so I tell people like, if you're going to cross train, like really like think multidimensional, like think yoga and Pilates, because that's nothing like running and it complements running really well. It builds your core, it builds your balance, it builds Um, a lot of the coordination that you need in the smaller muscle groups Um, or think about cycling or spin classes because that puts your joint through a whole new motion of flexion or um, it it stresses your cardiovascular system in a totally different way or something like swimming, which is nothing like running. You're actually using your back extensors versus, you know, your trunk flexors and and things like that. So it's, you want to think like, if I'm going to cross train, it should be something really different than running it shouldn't just be stair climbing or walking on a treadmill on an incline because that's not just like running but it's not that different at least not to the the degree that I would want people to be kind of diversifying their loads on their body I I I think that um cross training piece like I was like I I didn't even know like what to ask about that but that's like perfect advice because that makes so much sense you don't want to be doing the same the same motion. I was going to ask specifically about um, cycling because I know a lot of people do uh, mix that in. Um, mm-hmm. I think because it keeps your cardio, you know, it's it's the, a lot of that cardio stuff, um, but it is different. I hate cycling personally. I, I can't get <laughs> on a bike. And, I mean, I can run 20 miles, but don't get me in one of those, you know, cycling classes. I, I It's like I all of a sudden feel like I've never worked out in my life. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. I, I, I always tell, I tell a lot of my runners, like if every runner could just become a triathlete, I would probably be out of a job because <laughs> triathletes are some of the most like well-balanced. They do three activities that are really not related to each other. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I, yeah, it's just a much more effective uh, way to, to train because you end up working all these different muscle groups on, on, in different ways. And 
I think triathletes are some of the most comprehensively strong individuals. Um, but that being said, I've never done a triathlon because I don't like swimming at all. And I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of biking. So I'm still just running all the time. <laughs> I, I'm exactly the same. Uh, I think swimming is the real nail in the coffin there, though. Like, oh, yeah. I, I could probably hop on a bike, but like, I don't know. I was, swimming's hard. Um, but I know that there are some triathletes that listen. So there you go. Props. Yeah. You guys are well-rounded athletes. Another question. Why do easy runs feel so hard? <laughs> um, I, I think part of it, I, I have two answers. One is it's a psychological barrier. It's more so like a mental thing. Like, especially if I know one of your other questions was talking about how it's hard to run during like your taper yeah. weeks. Um, I think a lot of that is, is a mental component of you've been in this training cycle and you've been almost in this mental place of your training has become just this huge priority for you in order to perform. And now you're not even really allowed to train at that intensity because it actually at this point might be detrimental to you. I think easy runs can feel the same way where you just can't mentally get into a space of anything. It's almost as if you should just take the day off because the easy run for some reason seems absolutely miserable. I, Weightless, I like I, what? Yeah. yeah it's like, I like, can't even get into this two miler. And I ran like a 14 on Saturday. Um, but I think a lot of that's mental. I think, I think, um, I think there's another component to it that I talk to with people sometimes who I work with of, you know, your body runs at, at a max efficiency for yourself. So sometimes when we try to slow ourselves down too much because we're trying not to overtrain or we're trying not to overexert, your body will actually feel really off because you have like this sweet spot of pace and form that tends to kind of inter interlock and, and, and line up with each other. So I some tell, sometimes tell people like, if you, if you feel like your, your slowdown is taking more effort than your natural pace, then you might want to actually just, take your easy day at a more natural pace and just cut the mileage shorter um, because it, it might actually be more helpful for you. And then, so we, you talked a little bit about the, the taper. And so along with that, um, is ghost pain really a thing? Like I, I, it's a thing, right? I mean, you can have like during the taper, like there's a lot of people that get like these ghost pains, like, and again, I guess that's mental. I just want to make sure I know what you mean. Like when you say ghost pain, you mean like kind of weird, vague things that you haven't experienced at all prior to the taper. This is probably more of a question for like a psychiatrist <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, There's like this whole, I mean, part of physical therapy, a huge chunk of it is, is us talking with patients about like their pain and about, you know, how, what their experience is like and, um, how seriously to take the pain because you, you know, sometimes, sometimes pain is so interrelated with stress or, um, just kind of these more psychological factors. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's not real. It just means that, you know, there's no actual like mechanical factor that you have to be freaking out about. Um, 
So I, I, I think I get what you're saying. You're right. I don't know how equipped I am to answer as a, as a <laughs> PT, but I, I experienced it myself training and I tend to be like, okay, if this lasts more than this run, then I'll take it seriously. Or like maybe two runs, then I'll take it seriously. But usually like if you can kind of distract yourself out of it and, and it doesn't stick around for more than a run or two, then I think you're safe to kind of kind of push it out of your mind if, if possible <laughs> and that's uh, a, that's really a lot of my job is like trying to reassure people you know this this pain that you're feeling is not going to break your body down we've you know we've even taken images to show you that you know you're okay like things are okay um I'm not that's really not a lot of my running population it's more like you need to chill out yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah. We need to rein you in but you right. know it's there's so much psychological factors that come into training that that can't be overlooked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we all know that the taper, we go crazy. The taper crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah, people just go bananas during taper week. I usually like don't even try to treat them during those two weeks. I'm like, all right, let's give you those two weeks to really like prep. You do your home program and we'll touch base after your race. What is your goal for clients and how do you help them get there? <laughs> So I have, I have clients see me for a lot of different reasons. I have patients that have come with recurring injury that, you know, it's the same injury that recurs over the, you know, couple of years and, and they're really frustrated. I have patients come prophylactically or for injury prevention, like they're going to train for their first marathon and they just want to know what they can be working on specifically for themselves um, based on their running form. And then the other type of patient I usually see is, is post-opiness. So patients who have had ACL reconstructions or some type of surgery and they're trying to determine, you know, when they're ready to return to, to running. And, and what I usually do is a pretty in-depth running analysis. And we have some other tools we use. We have an alter G, which is, I think we talked about last time, the treadmill that fills up with air that you were so pumped about. Yeah. We've got, you know, I saw one. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw one after I talked to you. Uh, Did you see one? Okay, good. Yeah. Good. So now I I didn't get on it, but I saw it. I was like, ah, yeah, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and turn that down. You really should get in one because they're crazy and cool. But, um, but yeah, we they're use real, tools I like thought. the Ultra G. We, you know, we make custom orthotics for people. We do, you know, really intense uh, movement analysis, things like that. So, um, so for clients, it, you know, we're really trying to figure out, you know, why do you get injured or how can you keep from getting injured as you up, you know, up your training. And usually my goals for my clients is to kind of help them set their own expectations. Um, I have a lot of people who come in who all of a sudden want to train for a marathon and haven't ever run a 5K. So, you know, kind of managing those expectations of being like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's start here and and go from there or um, kind of help them understand what proper training looks like or, you know, why they need to do a certain specific set of exercises versus someone whose form looks totally different and might need to work on something else. Um, and then to help try to give them independence in that I, I, I do not like seeing people, you know, all, you know, every week for the rest of their lives. I don't mind seeing them for tune-ups. I like that actually. Um, but my job isn't really to like see them for the rest of their lives. The, the goal is for them to kind of learn what they need to do and then be able to do it on their own. And if they need a tweak here or there or a tune up here or there, I love doing that. But 
I yeah. want them to be independent with, with their progress. Yeah, uh, really interesting that you talked about people coming to you before they start training. Because mm -hmm. I that I I was just thinking of um, you know, people coming to you after they get injured or some you know the post op. But um, that's a really that's a great idea and something for people to keep in mind, like to see see you or a physical therapist before they even start to kind of uh, make sure that they're um, getting out on the right foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting like yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Where can people find you and learn more? But I know because you're <laughs> the pace doctor on Instagram and <laughs> so I bet I am. Um Dr. Annie Newera, thank you again for being on the show. Love talking to you and um we'll have to do it again. Yeah, sounds great, Nikki. If you have any questions, any topics you want to go over, I, I love doing this stuff, and you're so fun to talk to, so. Thank you very much. All right, friends, that'll do it for today's episode. I hope you learned as much as I did and had some fun along the way. If not, well, here is my final attempt to entertain you. Get the hell away! Why am I doing this? Because you're annoying. No, just that dumb shirt on. Everybody loves this shirt. You already pulled everybody, so. Come on! Thanks for listening to Maybe Running Will Help. This podcast is a production of Anchor. If you like this show, remember you can hear it here on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message or direct message me on Instagram or Facebook at Maybe Running Will Help. If you have a story you are willing to share with the community, please reach out. Keep running, keep inspiring, and keep sharing how Maybe Running Will Help. Have a great run, everybody.